Hi, my name is Davin Sturdivant, and this is episode 20 of the Cart Pulse podcast. This one's actually a two-parter with Terrence Dove, who's a cart coach and author of the book Learn How to Master the Art of Cart Driving. Terrence has been awesome and has actually given away two copies of his book to members of the Cart Pulse forums who submitted questions. So for part one, I'm going to tell you who the first winner is, and for part two, I'm going to tell you the second one. So this was a blast. Let's just jump into it. Oh, dude. Okay, so here's the thing, man. Um, I know that a lot of people know who you are, but can you just give a general background about yourself? We do this at the beginning of every show. Just kind of tell everybody who you are and why you're a badass. Well, I'm a badass. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm a driver coach. So I work exclusively with cart drivers on driving. I don't know much about carts. I don't care much about carts. My whole life, my whole world is helping drivers. And my focus is, which is probably different to a lot of guys, is I want to help the driver find their own way, their own style, discover their own technique, be proud of it, motivate themselves and go out and be driver on their own terms winning their own way that's my thing mm-hmm. for sure for sure how long have you been doing it since tooth i have to i have to look up on the internet to find out i think i <laughs> i figure out by my website went up 2004 so it was probably sometime 2003 okay 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 so i mean you've worked with a bunch of different people and seen a lot of stuff um i mean before we kind of dig into some of the meat and potatoes of it, like, uh, did you start driving yourself and then decide to do coaching? Like, how did how did that kind of all? Right. So I raced my. I started karting myself probably eighty six, eighty seven. So when I was eleven, jumped into a kart, raced for a few years. I was an average poor driver, right? <laughs> but most of that time, <laughs> I wasn't really great. Um, so it was a few years and then something clicked. I started to observe the good guys. I was working for a guy who did engines and stuff and I watched him drive the way he drove his car. And I noticed some things about the way he held himself and his general confidence, arrogance, and something just fell into place in my mind. And I started to develop that for myself on the track and then bang hit the front, got my results, bankrupted my dad, we ran out of money, and that was it. <laughs> but I achieved what I wanted to. I proved to myself, yeah, man, I can do this. I beat some good guys. I won the race I wanted to win. Um, so then I stopped racing, did university, and just at the end of that, my brother was old enough to do cadet racing. So I took him racing, and I, that's where I learned – how not to coach someone because Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I was coaching him like an ex-driver quite often does by saying get yourself together man do you really want this are you fooling around don't be scared get out there do this do that uh kind of almost intimidating trying to intimidate him to go faster and that would work for a very short time and then he'd say screw this man screw this and screw you 
Yeah. And so he did all right, and he's a good driver, and he's good now. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I went away, ran some businesses, got away from racing for a while, a couple of years, and uh, you know, visited racetrack and had like an epiphany where I said, I don't like my life going towards the normal nine-to-five thing. I've got to be back in kart racing. And I coached some guys for free. They did well. People started saying, hey, man, we'll pay you. Come with us. And that was it. I've coached. That's since then. That's mega. That's mega. That's mega. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I found out about you pretty much when I first started racing. I uh, was doing inner, indoor carts at the time, yep. rental carts at the time. And, you know, I don't have a lot of money now, but I had, like, even less money then. So I couldn't buy a race car at the time. I couldn't do anything. And so my whole mindset had been, well, if I could figure out how to train my brain, then I could at least get the maximum amount of the equipment I could get my hands yeah. on. And that would at least give me the maximum result that I could. Yeah. Right? I may not ever have a great car, but at least I could drive as well as I yeah. could. And so I was looking online for some stuff, and I was trying to find books, and I, I stumbled upon your website just by accident. I think I put, like... I think I even misspelled it. I think I was like, how to cart good or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> and your site came up and I was reading through your blog and it was all about the mental stuff. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. Like it was all about confidence and it was all about your approach and the mindset yeah. and, you know, how you can move your body around and all this stuff that we'll cover in a minute. But the part that clicked is I was like, this guy gets the fact that I don't have to be good to understand where he's coming from. Right. And I loved that. Like a lot of coaches I read, it's like the first chapter is either, well, you either have it or you don't, you know, you're either sinner or you don't. And if you don't, you probably should stop reading. And then you're like, but you know, I, I, even now I have trouble winning races. I have trouble getting in the top five in races, if I'm honest, in a lot of places. And so when I see that, I get demoralized and I'm like, "Eh." when I read yours, I was like, I can get my head around this. This is, ah, that's cool. That's cool. Cause the, Do you know, the, my philosophy is that every race has a winner, you know, and there's a thousand races a weekend. Each one has a winner, and it kind of doesn't matter who wins. It's just another winner. Um, I'm in this because I believe that karting is a – for young drivers, young guys and girls, it's the best place to develop a kind of superior human, a really resilient, self-driven, really quite special character, if you can survive it. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether someone's got a particular driving talent or not, I don't really care. I, I want them to understand themselves, become yeah. get, get something really valuable out of karting, because I think there's a lot in there. Yeah. And figure themselves out and maybe they can become a professional driver. Maybe they can win races. It doesn't really bother me, but if they can make something of themselves using karting, that's, that's the real win. That's what it's all about. Right. Totally. And I don't, totally, I, totally. it could seem a little bit groovy and like, Hey man, just enjoy yourself. I'm not really like that. I'm, I'm right. and drivers aren't. We're all like, yeah, man, but I'm in it to win it. And that's the right yeah, attitude. Yeah. And that's a cool attitude. Yeah. But if you do your racing career and you get to, like, you run out of money or something, and if you come out of it with a chip on your shoulder rather than confidence, then it's been a waste of time. And there's a lot of guys who could win or have won 
big titles who look back on their carton and all they can say about it is, well, you know, I had it. I should have been hired. Look at those guys. I could have been beating those guys in F1. I beat them when they were young. And in that case, it was probably a waste of time because it hasn't done them any good. Mm-hmm. But if someone comes out of it, whether they've won or not, and they found out something about themselves that they can take into the real world and exploit and conquer, then that's what well, that's the point for me. Yeah, yeah, that's a win. No, I totally get that. I totally get that. You know, you said that you you coached your brother and uh, helped him when he was in cadets, um, and you know, it sounds like a lot of your um, ideology is self-taught. But did you have anybody? that you use as kind of like an inspiration or maybe as a coach yourself or as, you know, this is who Terrence used to inspire him to, you know, develop your style in your own way or did it just kind of evolve naturally through trial and error? I suppose there's the obvious ones. There's like reading books about Senna. He was a guy who kind of would, I think it was his book that said, look, forget about winning figure out the process, concentrate on the process. One of those kind of quotes, which is everywhere, like in self-help stuff. But because it was Senna, that was one. Uh, Other than that, I'm mostly reading outside of racing. Uh, Loads of stuff, like Buddhist stuff, Mm -hmm. kind of philosophy stuff, Um, and then applying it. Because it's all out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's actually some of the – best books I've read that have helped me with my racing have been business books and philosophy books. And then also too, the inverse has been true as well, where something I've learned in racing has helped me in my professional life. Um, whether it's, you know, how to get in the right frame of mind before going to a client meeting or how to deal with adversity when someone's jumping down my throat or, you know, how to reverse engineer why something didn't go well right? Um, they kind of intertwine. And so, you know, they, they mix and match. So I'm totally hearing you on the, you know, finding sources outside of racing to apply to your racing and make it work for you. Like I'm a business guy. So for me, you know, business books, psychology books, those things get me triggered, right? Um, where for other people, they don't. And so, you know, finding something that inspires you kind of helps to get you clicked in line. That's, that's mega. I like yeah. That. That's the thing. Finding yeah. stuff that, yeah. that just gets you thinking, gets you fired up yeah. and use it. So do you do you feel like because um, you know we have this thing in Cart Pulse where we talk about kind of our two main buckets right there's that six to uh, six to eighteen year old bucket and then there's a twenty five and up bucket um, and you know we talked about this kind of an earlier podcast like in the cadets to kind of senior bucket you know most of those kids are either you know racing with their parents or they you know want to go to F one or whatever the you know milestone is and then normally in like the twenty five and up bucket it's mostly like I am um, this is the first thing I've ever been able to race I'm mostly doing this for fun I just found out I could do it. Yeah. Whatever else. Um, I really want to focus on this 25 bucket because that seems to always be the group of people that somewhat get neglected yeah. when it comes to, you know, coaching, people being interested, yeah. you know, whether these people have a purpose, like blah, 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 blah. Um, do you feel like you get just as many people in that group that are, you know, that develop just as much yeah. as you do in the younger category? Or do you feel like it's just like the young kids kind of all get it and the, basically the old people never do? Um, I... <laughs> One of my things is I, I discovered this by working because the what we call the Bambino class 
is relatively new to us, which is the kids like six to eight, maybe even younger. Like these yeah. tiny little kids with crash helmets racing, right? <laughs> Full size. They just look like ants, right? <laughs> so I remember my first couple of coaching around gigs with kids like that. So you're dealing with six or seven year old kid. And you think, how the hell am I going to explain these concepts that I deal with, like, 30-year-old adult guys? But here's what I discovered. A driver seems to be a driver. A six-year-old, 55-year-old, they respond to the same things. They do the same things on track. They need to be treated with respect they react better when you work with them rather than trying to work it's the same pattern so to be honest i think i pretty much treat everybody as if they're going to f1 because when you're in the context you're at the cart track there's the cart there's the track it doesn't make any difference for them i don't think because i know there's the idea that there's guys who are just there for fun, just there to enjoy themselves. But when I'm working with them, they're there to really focus in the same way that everybody else does. And it's the same yeah. stuff. It's, totally. It, and I've done a bit of work um, with professional drivers who were sponsored, you know, the guys who are picked to go to the top. It's the same. It's exactly the yeah. same. Totally. So I think totally. a driver really is a driver. And, and it's, it's fascinating to talk to a seven-year-old kid about late apexes, coming off the brake pressure, and it is the same conversation. I'll sit down with them and draw a diagram. They'll take the pen off me the same as a old guy, say, this is where I'm aiming, this is where I get on the gas. Same. The cart's not doing what I want, the back sliding, the front sliding. Maybe they don't say understeer when they're six, but <laughs> sometimes they do. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, You're like, wait, how do you know that? Yeah, yeah. it's weird. Yeah. It, the first yeah. time I worked with a really young driver, it was kind of surreal that mm. the barrier, well, the barrier, the the difference between a six-year-old and a twenty-six-year-old. Sometimes a six-year-old is smarter. It's kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. True story. Very, very true. Very, very true. So here's the thing. Um, and, and I think you might have a good impression on this um, where I may not. So, you know, I'm from the United States. And so the common story I hear all the time is that Europe is where the best carters are at. That's you know where the hardest racing is at. That's where the top flight is at. And I think unintentionally we put ourselves on this second tier. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not really actually looking for like an ego boost or anything like that, but I actually just wanted like your impression of it because like maybe it's because I'm naive about the whole thing, but there's a large part of me that just goes, well, I mean, we're driving go-karts and they're driving go-karts. Like we have Joey Wimsett and you have Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. Like, you know, we have Danny Formal and they have Max Verstappen. Like, I don't, is there a big difference? Like, is it, is it really like a huge deal or? No, I don't, I don't think it is. I think the advantage that we have probably in Europe, maybe even more in the UK, is the density of the geography, probably. 
in that mm. you can race every weekend here against the best kids and nobody's traveled more than five hours right, so that's right, right. that probably gives the impression that we're superior but then you look at the states and look at the vastness of the motorsport industry that you have the number of professional drivers the number of professional series the tv the coverage the fans but the what is the indy 500 the biggest spectator event in the world yeah i'm gonna quiz you on that later i got a question about that later <laughs> so <laughs> so and, and also from our perspective in europe everybody and this is definitely true of the karting industry all the time there is a special focus on breaking the states Everybody wants to make it in the States because we look and we say they have got such a huge market potential. I mean, look at the IAMI, Italy, yeah. America, Motors, or whatever they're called. They tried to bring the American name in just so they could right. bust the American market. Everybody's focused wow. on that. I had no idea that's why it was called IAMI. Huh. But you've also got the biggest oh, yeah. karting event in the world. Yeah, the Supernats yeah, yeah, is the event that everybody uses as the platform to say, this is our European kit, come and buy our stuff. You've got to go and win the Supernats. Yeah, true, true, very true. I guess it's also, too, maybe how we present a lot of our races. Maybe it's just because our country's so big. I, I can't really put my finger on how I'm going to say this, but you know, when I look at some of the CIK races, they look more organized. Right, they look like I say. I guess I see more trailers. I guess I see more guys in suits, and maybe <laughs> it's just because of the way that it's presented. But you know, and it's not really to slight U.S. racing, but I just, I guess, whenever I think of European racing, I think of like the you know, forty or fifty cart fields, and you know, everyone's got a factory suit on, and da 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 da. I guess there's where, there's like, that we have the karting industry based in Italy. Yeah. Um, that's perhaps where that perception, because that's where you get the works teams with the big trucks. Sure. But you have that in the States, just it's more spread out. Yep. So when everyone gathers yep. at the yep. Supernats, that makes the the CIK events look pretty normal. Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That makes I mean, sense. we we paid money to send my brother to the Supernats to cover that mm -hmm. event. Alan went to do that. He didn't go to... Uh, Lenato to cover the WSK whatever but we went to the Supernats um, mm. plus <laughs> that, that was when you had Schumacher, <laughs> Buemi Algaswari right, yeah. F1 guys doing the Supernats because it was the event Right. Yeah. No, totally. 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 That makes sense. And I, I guess it's just like I've never really talked to somebody from Europe about their perception of their own racing, right? Because you always get spoiled to what you're exposed to the most. Yeah, the grass is always right? green. And yeah, exactly. And so it's always interesting to talk to somebody who's over there, you know, to see if someone was like, yeah, it's a bunch of crap or like, oh yeah, no, it's totally, you know, awesome over here um, to hear that because as you know, everybody in the States wants to go over to Europe. Everybody I talk to always wants to go over to Europe and it's not like it wouldn't be fun, but I've always wanted to know what people think about Europe going over to the States. I'm like, does anyone ever want to come over here? Well, it happens, <laughs> so that's really it happens cool to know. quite often where guys say, Oh, I'm not going to make it to F1. Where is the realistic chance of becoming a professional driver? 
and a lot go yeah. to the States because it's a bigger yeah. marketplace. If you want to earn money as a driver, you've got a chance in America. Truly, that makes sense. What about what about people who just want to stay in karting now? Like, you know, we, we always talk about like we formed Call It Pulse because we got frustrated. James and I got frustrated running into so many people who were basically trying to be in karting as little as possible so they could go jump into Formula cars and they could go to IndyCar, yeah. they could go to F1. Yeah. But then, you know, there's this entire deep pool of racing that can just happen in karts where, like, I feel like sometimes people don't appreciate, like, what they're leaving. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like the, it's like that girlfriend, you know, you let get away. <laughs> then everyone I talk to and they come back and they're like, oh, man, I wish I was still carding. As if for some reason it's like inaccessible yeah, to them or something. Yeah. And you get the, <laughs> right. that happens from the F1 guys. They, they do yeah. reviews and they say, or even Senna, oh, but the real magic was in carting. I'll tell you what I find really fascinating um, is how there's a perception of a motorsport ladder with carting at the beginning and at the top's F1. Okay, so fine, but take an F1 driver who's supposed to be elite athletes and put them in a KZ, put them in a grid with fast top kart drivers like Lammers or uh, Kozlinski, that type of guy, and they get smashed. The F1 drivers get abs beaten. Um, so... What does that mean? Does that mean that the order needs to be re-established and to put KZ just one step on from F1? Could Verstappen jump back in the KZ and and smash it again? I don't know. Maybe he could, right, but right. or has he let himself go a bit? <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh God, that'd be amazing. Oh no, man, you've gotten in the F1. Now you're slowing down. Oh, you're slacking. Yeah. Well, the most recent one I heard about was Perez couldn't quite cut it at the supernats right or rubens when he went and did the florida winter tour um or the world finals i think it was rotex worlds well he did say that was the hardest thing he did the when he did kz it might, it might be kz2 or kz1 yeah, I think, world i think he was in yeah and Le i remember because i think he he was with uh burrell as one of their with one of their factory guys i think it was uh, I forgot the other guy's name, and I should know this. But I know that he like was, I think, 20th or something? Yeah, he was like nowhere. Yeah, yeah, he was nowhere. And he had said, like, that was just impossible. And you're like, but you're Rubens, though. You're, you're, like, you're, you're a whatever. legend, dude. What's yeah, you're on? a legend. Like, what's going on? Like, you're the guy. Like, what about the rest of us? Crap. Like, <laughs> what does it mean? I'd, I'd really like to yeah. know. what. Yeah. It's something to figure out, because if, if a currently competing competitive driver like Perez can't jump in a car, do some testing and disappear down the road, then that does mean that F1 isn't the pinnacle of motorsport. To me, mm-hmm. on a logical basis. I, I understand the nuances. I hear it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because yeah, it's yeah, yeah. more... Well, KZ's more physical than F1. Apart from the G-load yeah. on your neck, th- yeah. they've got to take care of their ribs. Button... Um, injured himself in a cart that ruined the beginning yep. of one of his seasons. Yep, yep. Um, so, <laughs> well, it, you know, it's funny. It's funny because um, I've got a lot of friends who don't cart that when they first jump in one, no matter what it is, they're always surprised at how visceral the experience is. 
because they go, oh, it's a little toy. It's tiny. I, I race a, you know, Porsche or whatever. Like, this will be nothing. I got this. And then they do, like, ten laps, and they're like, oh, God, I'm dying. <laughs> oh, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah, what is this? You do this for fun? Crazy bastard. That's uh. what happened to me, man. I did that. That's why I, I preach to drivers about fitness. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, it's in your book. Yeah, yeah, and it's the story there that I, I was out of a cart for maybe 13 years. I still kept in kind of okay shape, like a regular guy. So I wasn't like really bad. And um, so we put a 100cc engine on a regular kind of modern chassis at the time um, with some quite soft tires. And so I jumped in and thought, yeah, man, I'll just enjoy this. And uh, yeah, it was great for the first lap. While the tires were cold, it was like, oh, this is everything. I remember it so cool, the 100cc engine yeah. screaming. And then the grip came in. Yeah. And I th- oh, three laps. I, I didn't yeah. enjoy any of the laps where there was grip. My brain could yep. still operate and say, you need to break late here, dude. Hit that apex. I couldn't get near an apex. The pressure on my ribs... <laughs> was constant i was struggling to breathe my shoulders went my neck went um my perception then gave up because i was more interested in my suffering than where how i needed <laughs> to look because you were dying uh, it, it's the worst <laughs> yeah. physical experience i've ever been through yeah. and um, so <laughs> what i did well there's two fortunate factors one is we didn't have a micron on because right, right. I think I was about five seconds a lap down, but that could not uh-huh. be recorded. No one has any evidence. <laughs> and at the track I was at, Lid, on the south coast of the UK, there's no viewing area apart from by the pit. So I could do one corner. I could have a lock up. Everyone would go, yeah, yeah, man, he's still got it. The rest of the track, <laughs> I just backed right off. <laughs> and in the end, I went over a curb and pulled the chain off. And I, I'm not sure. Right. I think it was kind of semi-intentional. Was, there was no way. I oh, thank God! Me. I threw yeah, it. Yeah, I took the bucket <laughs> out. And it was session done. And yeah. I did it far away, so I could <laughs> catch my breath. As we'd come stand. Bad luck. Bad luck, guys. I broke yeah, it. Like, oh no. <laughs> that's awesome. There's a lesson. The lesson is. If you're, when you're a teenager or young driver, you don't really feel that, um, the intensity, especially if you've driven right. since quite young, you get right. used to all the bumps and bruises and like the golf ball things that grow on your back, and, like yeah. lumps of just bruising building up. But yeah. the realization I had is that all these different organs in your body are giving off like alarm signals saying, come on, dude, let's just back off. Now, if you're kind of in shape, those signals will be less, but they're still there and they can still take that little edge off your performance. And you're looking at a 10. Yeah. So my advice is get fit enough to drive and then some so that you don't ever feel any, kind of distress at all you don't want any toughness totally. and you can do that everyone can do totally that. totally 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 
Totally, totally. I mean, like, um, I have a I have a personal trainer that I work with at the gym that's um, near my work. And when I met him, I was like, look, I race go-karts. Yeah. And the only reason I'm here is because I'm racing go-karts. So, like, let's figure out, like, what core stuff and cardio stuff and strength stuff I need to do just for that. And, we'll, like, work my neck and all. And if it's not that, I don't want to talk about yeah. it. And, you know, I gave him a bunch of books. And we, like, sat down and watched a bunch of karting videos. And I showed him, like, data on my go-kart. And I was like, look, this is why I'm giving you all this information. Because, like, I don't need to be lifting, you know, 140 pounds over here, you know, over my head. Like, that's not going to help me in a go-kart, right? I need a strong core. I need good cardio. I need good endurance, right? Those sorts of things. And so I totally get it. And then even, like, during periods where my cart has been broken, um, I'll use that period to just try to get in better shape. Because I'm like, I can still be working on something. So let me, you know, I, I, I'm not always the most motivated person. Like, if you asked me to go for a run right now, I would just tell you to fuck off right now. Yeah. But, like, I'll at least try to get in the gym, yeah. right, and do something, yeah. right? So that at least I'm getting something for my body for when I get back into a go-kart. It's not as terrible. Do you know, I think we, all us racing people share something in common in that I think we are, most of us, a bit lazy. Because what really attracted me to racing when I was really young, because I love, like, Everybody in my family had like a racing thing. So I used to like my pedal car and I used to like taking it downhill. Right? (laughs) I did not like pedaling. So the steering wheel, this is great. I'm driving. I don't like the pedaling part, man. If only there was a a thing that you didn't have to pedal. That's when I started looking for (laughs) karting magazines. Right, now, to find right, out about right, karting right. in 1980s was like you had to wait a month for the magazine to arrive. It was, right. it was crazy. But do we all share that kind of fundamental laziness? Maybe we do. Yeah, maybe we do. Yeah, maybe we do. Maybe we do. All right. So I got a, I got a couple of questions about coaching here because I want to dig a little bit more into your book. Actually, I want to dig a lot into your cool. book. Um, okay. This is going to be the most selfish thing I said today, but I fucking love your book. Okay, because the reason why I love your book is because it's comprehensive and it's written at like a fifth grade reading level, like a sixth grade reading level. And I mean that actually as a compliment because you can get your mind around what you're talking about immediately. I've read a lot of books on racing, a lot of them, and a lot of them just go way over your head right off the bat. Um, Or they try to combine, like, setup with driving together, and so it's just too much information, and you can't walk away with anything actionable. Where with this book, every chapter I read through, I was like, I either want to try that, or I was, like, giving myself a fist bump, like, yeah, I figured that out, yes, right? So that's why I loved it, because... It, it it gives you it's 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 itemized so you can you can and you can tell that someone who's re- like driven carts and coached a bunch of people has written it because there's some stuff you've written in there where you're like you know what this might not work for you but it works for me yeah. or like i like it's a uh, hand position was the good one that sticks out in my mind right now you talked about high medium and low yeah. and you're a high guy yeah. right yeah. and i'm a middle guy yeah. and you would say you know i prefer high because you're dominant on the wheel yeah. some people prefer low so they can be all precise yeah. some people prefer middle but there's no right way yeah. right and I was like, I love this oh, cool. because it gives you it gives you options and it gives you a range. And I was like, this is this is good because to me, kart driving is a lot like any other discipline or any other style, right? Everyone's got their own style. Everyone, you know, it's like we use the F1 example: you're smooth like button or you're aggressive like Alonso, yeah. right? Both are fast, yeah. but you got to integrate it into a way that works. Yeah. So, God, your book is good. 
Oh, that's cool, man. Because okay, that was so. the that was the real with the technique stuff. That was the point that yeah. I wanted people to yeah. pick up on. So I've had some feedback about that where people appreciate that it's not a preach about yeah. this is how you do it. Um, yeah, and I kind of was uh, early days. Uh, I would say, look, hold the wheel higher, have a real strength posture do it and it worked for people but some people it didn't work right um and then some of those people did really well their way so you have these little moments where you go damn i needed to reevaluate what i was doing well you come across as knowledgeable but not like cart god and i like that because it it made it it made when you finish reading the book you just want to i was fortunate enough to be able to talk to you like 10 minutes after I finished reading it, because basically I finished it yesterday, right. right? So when I when I closed it, I was like, oh man, now I just want to talk to Terrence about yeah. this, right? Which is awesome, because most books, you close the book and you go, I don't even know what to do with any of that. Yeah. Like, it's in a file somewhere, so that, right? So that's, that's, the, that's the selling part I really like about this book. And then there's, I've circled a lot of things in the book, um, especially around hand position yeah. and around uh, how I'm sitting, yeah. that I'm going to go try, like, r- right after this call. Like, I'm going to the car oh, track cool. right when we're done yeah. here, right? Because I was just like, I'm, I'm going to try this just to see if it changes it or if I notice it or like, I'm not even going to touch my cart at all today. I'm literally just going to work on changing how I'm in the cart um, because that's the part that really was driven home for me that, you know, almost 95% of what's in this book has nothing to do with cart setup, like at all, like not changing seats, not changing alignment, not special, whatever bars or whatever. I don't need an OTK. None of that shit mattered. (laughs) It was like, (laughs) you know, you're the cart driver, you're driving it. Let's make you drive as best as possible. And I should be able to drop you in any cart and you should be able to drive the wheels off it. And I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm down for this. Like, give me, give me this book. Right, so oh my god, amazing! Right, great book, great book. This actually, it's like one of my favorites. It's one of my newest books, but it's one of my favorite books, like instantly. Super cool. So, um, James and I have been talking about making sure we get it up on the store so that we can point an affiliate link so people can get it because I want people to get it. Like I want everybody to have it. Um, we've we've been talking to a couple people and I've been saying like there are two books you need to get. One of them is uh, my friend Eric's book, Carding One Hundred and One. Yeah. Which is basically like how to introduce the sport of karting at like a um, fundamental level. Like this is how you find the track, cool. and you know this is a go kart, and no, no, no. And then it's like then go do some driving, then go read Terrence's book. Yeah. Because then Terrence's book will be like, okay, so you've been in a go kart for a little bit, you basically fucked it all up already. Yeah. Now you're ready to really start working on your driving. Yeah. And some of these things will spark because you go, oh my god, that's what I'm doing wrong. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Um. So. You know, one of the questions that we got asked, and, you know, we did this thread on Cart Pulse yeah. to get some questions from a lot of listeners and stuff. And so um, Michael Zorowski asked this question about um, what's the best way to help someone get over fear when driving. Yeah. And I wanted to dig into that a bit because, you know, a big part of your book, regardless of the chapter you're in, has to do with confidence and approach. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, it, whether it's psychological as in, you know, getting your hands on the wheel so you feel like you're wrangling the cart yeah. or, you know, just like your mindset on just like being ready to attack someone rather than getting beat up. Yeah. Um, can we talk about that a little sure. bit? Like how how is how key is that? How key is confidence? Uh, well, confidence is the number one thing for me. Um, I would say that someone with confidence. Can beat someone superior technique wise who doesn't have it um 
arrogance i'd take over humility if i wanted to build a driver um because arrogance can be tempered and until you there's um an old guy who was like an f1 team guy years ago and he said i want arrogant drivers i want them to be so full of themselves they're almost intolerable almost there's the guys yeah, there's yeah. the guys that they, they want <laughs> Um, sure, so sure. the fear thing, when someone contacts me to help them deal with that sort of stuff, that's where I think, yeah, this is where kind can really help a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, there's so many different angles you can do it from, um, because everybody's different, but if they can understand the problem, create a plan and start to understand that the ideas that they come up with that they can bounce off me and me being a guy with experience can say yeah man that that makes sense let's try that they try it it's like a small step towards solving the problem um but it works that's when you get like this mega supercharged feedback so if i tell you something like um break at this point you can go out and do that and you can come back and say yeah that's good terence is good but if you say right i'm how about if i break a bit later and i break at this point and i say yeah that's a good idea then you go and do it and it's better you get a you've developed your technique b you've reinforced your own self-confidence and that's where you as a driver you start to think man i can i can solve any problem in fact I can solve things faster than that guy and that guy. And that's where confidence comes in. So when it, when you're talking about fear, usually it's a fear of something you don't understand or something you don't know and fear of just not being competent in a situation. Any situation can be solved um, by looking at it, studying other guys, but it has to be the driver who comes up with the ideas so my job is to facilitate their self-development. Now, do you think that comes more from the driver's individual drive to change that mindset or the environment they put themselves in? Um, and the reason why I ask this question is you may not, you may be familiar with this, actually. Um, Jensen Button used to have this concept called Team Button. And the whole thing around Team Button was basically, it was like six degrees of separation, right? He found like the key six people that were always around him at every given time. It was like his trainer, his dad, his well, his wife at the time, and like two or three other people that would always create this insulary positive bubble around him yeah. to help him, especially in periods where he was struggling. Yeah. Um, so whenever, you know, especially during the bar Honda days, when like just the car wasn't working for him, he needed to have that environment to say like, I am driving better than the guy in the winning car. I'm just in a slower car. Yeah. So just because it says P15 on the board, I am not the 15th best driver on the grid. Right. 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 Um, so does that kind of does that factor in there? Like the people you kind of bring around you to, or? Well, I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. But um, my philosophy on that is that I would prefer to help a driver develop their own resilience because. I have not heard that team button thing. That's pretty cool. But I don't think many people will have that available. Usually drivers are 
put into an environment that's not conducive to that. Yeah. So yeah. I'd, my approach is to try and help them become immune to that and be able to yeah. pick. Yeah. So let's say you've got a team guy, normally they're overrun, exhausted, they work extremely hard for stupid hours. They're trucking, then setting up a tent. They they haven't got that spare capacity usually to be able to listen to a driver and understand them. They, they're normally saying, here's what's happening on the track. I see this. You're losing time here. I told you this before. You haven't done it. Then they move on to the next guy. And I want a driver to be able to, instead of taking that as a real kick in the balls and, you know, like a real oh my God, What's? Oh, oh, I don't feel good. I want them to say, yeah, man, well, screw you, but what you said there is right. I'm actually going to do that, but I don't care for your attitude, but we'll deal with that later. And then he'll go out, improve, <laughs> yeah. and then I want, I want. It's, I guess it's a bit like that team button thing, but I want the driver to start to dominate and take control of people around him and manipulate them to focus on his performance but from the driver i want that impetus to come from the driver inspiring his team guy the driver being the first guy to show up in the morning working really well with the team doing some extra advertising for the team and start to dominate and become the focus yeah yeah it's it's, you know really i guess about owning your own career yeah you know they say that in the professional world all the time like you're the one who owns your own career so you know if you're just waiting for your boss to tell you what to do you'll never really get promoted or you will but it'll be on their terms where if you say like i'm getting this fucking promotion okay and you put all your energy towards doing that you know you work your coworkers to harder you know you work your managers to look at you in a different light right you find the right projects you put yourself and so it's kind of the same thing when you're racing you know um, and i think so that, i think that's def- exactly true i think in racing as well there's an added dimension to that where mm-hmm. team people and also there's guys there's always someone around sniffing around for the next guy the next driver Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what they look for is that kind of personality self-motivated self-made and team guys are usually kind of impatient and quite harsh on people it seems but when they spot someone who has that extra little thing in their personality not on the track necessarily they they notice they really know this because they either look motor racing world is either looking for someone who has got an exceptional drive right in in them Mm -hmm. and or money right yeah and if you don't have the money but you have the drive someone's going to take a chance on you yeah and i was actually going to lean on that too is you know for those who maybe don't have access to funds and this like this is outside the sponsorship conversation and outside of most of any of that topic it's just some people have more access to money and some people don't so for those who let's say don't you know how do they how do they stand out how do they excel um like this is going to sound completely selfish but i'm talking so whatever like because i didn't have access to money i wrote a lot 
And I did the, like what I do on Cart yeah. Pulse. And I do a bunch of other things to show like, look, I, I can't buy a brand new chassis yeah. every year. And I'm not going to be winning races every year. But I'm driving my ass off. And I'm doing everything I can yes. to put a strong program together yeah. because I really, really want it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so when I work with people, I hope anyway, most of the time that comes through because they're not asking me. You know, like no one's asking me to do the podcast. No one's asking me to build the forum. Yeah. No one's asking me to do the. I'm doing all of that on my yeah. own, right? Um, and and that's partly because one, I couldn't just buy all the equipment that I wanted to. Like my parents were like, "I'm not giving you money to go racing. You're insane." Yeah. Right? So, yeah. right? They 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 had to come up with something. So this is what I came up with, right? Um, so yeah, like I I feel like that that is something to be said when I when I talk with other drivers in a similar position, mm. right? They say, well, you know. Um, I'm never going to go anywhere because I can't buy the 2017 chassis. I'm never going to go anywhere because um, I'm not a factory driver or whatnot. And in my head, I always think, no, you're never going to go anywhere because you told yourself you're never going to go anywhere. And so you've manifested your failure in advance. And so when there's an opportunity that shows up, your mind goes, that's not for me. Because you've told yourself, that's not for me. And so, you, you know, where, you know, I try to most of the time go, that's for me. Even if there's a gap yeah, yeah. <laughs> where it's like, well, shit, I don't really know how I'm going to get from A to Z, but fuck it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to go for it and we'll see where we and end that's, up. That's right? what makes racing um, an activity worth worth doing. Because yeah. it is very, very elitist, obviously, motorsport. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But... There is the opportunity for people who decide I'm going to be an exceptional person here. I'm going to do this. It's ridiculous. Racing is utterly ridiculous to say I'm going to. I'm a guy who earns an average wage, but I'm going to blow fifty grand in six months, and I don't care. Right. And I'm going to get it. I don't know where from. Mm-hmm. To to do that, and I've seen it happen enough times now. That's what makes racing. Aside from the actual activity of racing, which is just mega, mm-hmm. that's what makes it worth doing. Because it can be quite demoralizing. Yeah. You can see racing really breaks people. <laughs> it destroys yeah. people. Oh, yeah. But it creates oh, yeah. the opportunity for real special achievers to, to, to shine. I've seen it in action, and I've seen decision makers, guys with money who aren't overtly looking for someone, but they're on the lookout, and I've seen them notice stuff like that and they do so if if there's drivers out there listening to this and they're thinking i can't do it um you can and people will notice it's just that one in a thousand guys can do it um and the fact that most people are complaining and finding excuses means that it's easy relatively for someone who's just gonna say i'm gonna do everything man i'm just gonna do everything um it makes it easy for those very very few individuals to leapfrog everybody else yeah um yeah yeah but yeah it happens man it it actually happens and everybody in motorsport well i say everyone a lot of people say cut out the silly dream you're not gonna make it just enjoy what you can that's kind of sensible advice because it applies to the majority of people. But yeah. Enough guys do get themselves into positions where someone will say, I want your audience. 
I want what you're bringing. Yeah. I want to reach those people. And it makes sense for me to put you in a race car, a racing car. Um, an example like you, you can, you can attract that sort of thing. Alan, my brother, has turned down drives. He's been offered drives. It's in, you know, it's, his, his relationship with Carton is complex. But he's, he's had the opportunity to say, oh, thanks for the offer, man. But no, I'm not, no I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, there's plenty of people that say there's no such thing as a paid driving car. In. Well, there is. There is, yeah. There yeah. is. I mean, I even on a small scale, I drove for a, a local team for a small period of time where I was just helping him get started, but he needed a driver just to get things started. Yeah. You know, and the funny, the funny thing about, you know, a scenario like that is that and you and I have talked about this offline a couple of times is that I think it's a lot about maximizing opportunities but learning from the experience yeah. because in reality and that's in that scenario that I just told you about that ended awful but it was an amazing learning experience about character and professionalism yeah. and resilience yeah. and there's a lot I learned getting beat up yes yeah that I'm glad I went yeah. through because the next you know, partnerships I started getting involved with and engagements I started getting involved with, I had more experience and I learned more and I was aware of more things. And like, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll take the same risk again and other places I'm like, Oh, I've noticed a red flag there. I'll have to yeah. change my approach. Yeah. But you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a failed thing. Yeah. It was a, a learning. That's thing. the beauty of Carton. Right. That's what makes Carton yeah. to me the most um, important activity that I think a parent can put their kid into because it is it is not there's no protection for a 10 year old to a to a 18 year old nobody gives a damn they it's the real world and it bites and it's ugly and if they can get through it and learn like you're describing there the actual beating up that you get makes you a character it builds character Mm -hmm. like nothing else well you know, it's funny. I just want to read one thing from your book that stood out, and it was in your introduction. And I read it, and I knew I wanted to read the whole thing. Uh, you had said that racing is not for anyone with a sense of entitlement who feels the world owes them fair treatment. The only way racing is fair is that it wants money from everyone without prejudice, and it wants to suck them dry, rich or poor, and leave them with nothing to show for it. Racing does not have a welfare state. There's no safety net and no no protection from evil. Racing is just like nature, red in tooth and claw. And I read that, and I was like, that's actually really true. Mm. Because that's how life is like. Right? And, you know, there are people who will approach you know anything and go well i'm awesome so i deserve to get great things and then they're shocked when they don't get it and you know it's the same thing in racing where they're like well i'm great i've won everything i should be getting this f1 drive and then they're shocked when they don't get it right and and i think at the same time when you go through a scenario that beats you up you should realize that you're not a bad person because you got beat up you know it's 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 fall down seven times get up eight right And so you, you take all those experiences and say, okay, what's the next step? Yeah. You don't just sit and cry and go, well, that was terrible. I'm never going to do that yeah. again. Some people do, but they're not here anymore, yeah. right? You just pick up and go that's, on to the next step. That's thing. what makes – that's see, obviously, from working with a lot of drivers and seeing how unfair racing is, I went through a period of saying, do I really think this is the right thing to do, to be putting people through this scenario? And it's not just kids. It's – there's, there's yeah. the, what, the whole range of people who say I want to do well in racing 
and it, it was kind of like, is it moral? And then to yeah. that, that that's <laughs> paragraph you wrote sums it up where actually it is the best thing to do, to go through that kind yeah. of experience and really uh, get beat up by the racing world. Now, yeah. the other thing I think is that the trust fund kids or, you know, the kids who are loaded, who are, who are immune to a lot of the problems racing can provide, do not get as much out of the experience as people who have to really work on themselves. So in a kind of sure. strange way, I look at a lot of drivers who the money is just not an issue. And I kind right. of feel, I feel like they're missing out, man. I, they don't get that real racing experience, a development experience. Right, right, right. And there are a lot of those no, guys that don't, and, and they kind of end, they can end up in F1 and become like a kind of a joke. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very true. Um, maybe it's because I started racing later, but I remember I gave some advice to a younger driver that I was talking to that's in a similar scenario. You know, their dad is paying for everything mm -hmm. and they've got their top flight ride and mm -hmm. everything. And we were sitting at the cart track and I said, you know, enjoy this time now because when you're older and have to figure out how to create the funds on your own, you'll realize how difficult it was yeah. to even get to what you were doing right now. Yeah. And I, it this wasn't a threat. It actually was really more of just a, a real assessment of how life is. Because I know so many people who have said, you know, oh, well, we were racing until we were, you know, 20, and then we just stopped. Yeah. And it's like, well, we didn't really just stop. You just never learned how to generate the funds yeah. yourself. Like, you never learned how to generate the value to get what you wanted. And so you just stopped doing yeah. it. Well, yeah, I was just going to say this, the skill that you develop to get through that and the yeah. earlier that happens yeah. i mean it can demoralize people and make them think the world is horrible i give up <laughs> that does happen because of racing <laughs> but I, I feel like if i can provide an atmosphere for a driver where they can we can talk properly about the reality of racing and they develop their character because of racing and and succeed in it that's massive no, I don't think That's another. Right. I don't think any other activity can do that for a young person, or or even. I even work with people who are, you know, young adults in their twenties, thirties, who learn through racing stuff that helps them hugely in their career. Totally, 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 totally. So that's part one of our interview with Terence. Like I mentioned earlier, Terence is giving away two copies of his book, Learn How to Master the Art of Cart Driving, which we submitted in a contest to those who ask questions on the Cart Pulse forums. So the first person who won a copy of Terence's book is Michael Zaworski. So I'll be reaching out to Michael to get your address. Uh, we'll be talking about who the next winner is in part two, so stay tuned for that. Um, if you want to keep tabs on the podcast, get a hold of us on forums.cartpulse.com or check us out on Facebook at Cartpulse. Talk to you soon. Bye.